This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Elliot, let's get right to our next guest, a 12-time Pro Bowler, a former Redskin and Houston Oiler. He was a member of the NFL's anniversary all-time team, 49 career interceptions. Ken Houston, how are you doing, Ken? Fine, guys. How are you? Great. And you played in the American Football League. I remember those days. How, that was fun football. Uh, balls, foot, football's flying all over the field. Yeah, you know, that was, that was the start of it, and we had a great time doing it. Ken, you were such a good player that all your teammates had to wear your name on their helmets with the Houston Oilers. <laughs> but um, bump. They named yeah, the city they after them. <laughs> they think I'm still playing. <laughs> so, Ken, yep. when... When you started with the Oilers, you weren't what? You were in the championship game your first year. Absolutely, we uh, went down and we played the Miami Dolphins uh, in Miami, and we won it. And uh, thought we were going to be a pretty good team. And the next year we came back, and uh, I think maybe we won two or three ball games, and that was kind of that kind of set the thing in rotation for most of the guys. Uh, they were traded or whatever, and uh, it took years for the team to rebuild. Uh, did you go back to the days of Charlie Toler? Charlie Toler re- retired the year before I came in. I knew Charlie extremely well uh, up until he passed away, and uh, he was the, the, the little, I call him the low ball of fullback. Uh, when I was in, and Paul Granger was the next fullback. Uh, Charlie Frazier was the receiver. Don Truel, Pastorina, Dickey were quarterbacks. You know, it was during that era. So what was it like going up against guys like Dickie and Pastorini in practice? Fun? It was fun. Uh, you know, practice back then was a little bit different. Um, we probably scrimmaged once a week, uh, which was really extreme having to play on that Sunday because, you know, once you tee the ball up for real, then players, you actually play to avoid getting hurt. So, that I mean, you have to play full speed. So if you can go to a game with a partial injury, you can't play at your full capability. So, uh during that time, you did work with pads uh, probably four days a week, three days a week anyway, and one of those days would be active. But you know what? You weren't just a great cornerback safety. You were a great kickoff return man, and you held the record till our guy in Chicago broke it, Devin Hester. Devin Hester just yeah. cannot seem to learn how to play receiver. He could just be a kick returner, but you did it all. Did you, did yeah, you know, it was a little bit different back then. You know, I didn't start off being um, – a kick return. As a matter of fact, we were having a, a practice in the in the dome at that time, and we were playing the Chicago Bears. And the uh, coach from Chicago, we were in there together. Uh, we were both teams were working out, and I ran back uh, punt just in practice, you know, because I love to do it. And the coach mentioned to our coach, you know, he'd make a good return person, and he actually put me back on uh, punts. Um, probably two weeks later, and I didn't do it full-time because, I was, you know, being a full-time player, it's a little bit different now, but uh, you're more exposed to injuries is why he didn't do it. But I did run back kicks, and my son and I were actually watching television when Hester broke this record. And my son was surprised because it was like 35 years the record was there, and mine was uh, interception, a return by interception. Uh, I had nine nine by interceptions. I had one uh and a punt return, and I had two fumbles, uh, you know, so that was a toll. But the toll thing, as far as the nine was concerned, which was the interception uh, return record. And overall, Hester 
has everything now, but we, my son and I was sitting there watching TV, and uh, it came on that he had broken my record. My son looked at me. He said, don't worry, Dad, I'm going to break his record. So <laughs> tell Devin he's got somebody on his trail. Okay. Hot on his tracks, right? Yes. Where's your son playing at? Who did I start playing with? No, well, who does your son play oh, for? No, he's, not, he, he's not playing at all now. That's the ironic thing about it. You know, he was playing high school ball at the time, and uh, now he will probably end up going to the University of Houston. He's not really sure at this point. That's where he said he's going to go. I don't know if he uh, will get the athletic scholarship because he didn't play that much in high school. Now, as a defensive back, did you have a favorite quarterback that you'd like to go up against? Um. I really uh, enjoyed Joe Namath uh, for two reasons. First of all, he was a great quarterback, but he always bought the notoriety with him, and you knew that he was going to throw the ball. They, the Jets probably threw the ball more back then than anyone else, so you're going to have a chance at least to get an interception or make it a big play. Um, we played Kansas City. They had the moving pocket with Lynn, Lynn Dawson, and they had John Hankel out at San Diego. So my favorite pass, uh, people to play against, where the people who threw the ball the most. And uh, in Oakland, what, you have Daryl and Monica throwing the ball? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Matter of fact, we gave Daryl his uh, nickname, the Mad Bumber. Yeah. We uh, After we beat uh, Miami, I think it was, that year, we played uh, the Raiders. And they beat us like 50-something or whatever in, in one of the uh, championship games. And he got that name after that, the Mad Bumber. So I was a part of his career. It seems like the Oilers and Raiders had some great games. Was that probably your most intense rivalry? I think it was. Um, you know, um, I don't know. It was something about the Raiders. They were everybody's driver. You know, and they were the tough guys. And we had some guys. I know Warren Wells was from the Southwest Conference where I played. And uh, Willie Brown was from the Southwest Conference. So we had a conference thing going there, too. A lot of guys that played in the same conference uh uh, especially with Houston and, and the Raiders. So it was a, it was a carol from college. Now, when you went to college, a lot of African-American ballplayers ended up at, at places like Prairie View. Yeah. Now, nowadays, you, you find them at, at all the big schools, even in the Southwest Conference, the Southeastern Conference. Or I guess the Southwest Conference doesn't exist anymore. But back in the day when it was fairly segregated. Uh, yeah. An, an easy transition for you from a small college to the NFL? Well, you know, we, we, uh, at that time, it was prior to integration, so all the guys had to go to Grambling Southern, Texas Southern, what we call it the Black Swag, the Black Southwest Athletic Conference. So we knew we could play. We always, we would love, we wanted to play other schools. Matter of fact, uh, Texas a was down the street, you know, Texas was up in Austin, and, uh, we actually tried to get games with those schools. Uh, but, you know, for a lot of reasons, it didn't happen. And um, I had the mindset when I got to throw a ball that I was as good as anybody in America. Uh, and most of the guys did. We just we just knew that we could play because if you put it, if you put the numbers there, running, jumping, reaction, we all had that. So that was just a matter of, of testing your skills against a guy from the Notre Dame or the Michigan State or whatever. And so once we got to camp, all that was out the window. It was just talent against talent. And I, I think that the first all the team we had uh, that I played on, we probably had 15 to 17 guys from small college. And then when you play Kansas City, they may have had 20, you know. And then so you just look, if you look at that whole, I think if it was only one league that would have existed, 
the NFL, NFC, the NFL, uh, a lot of college guys would not have gotten the chance to go to school. If you, but I mean, if you, if you ball. yeah, if you had gone to a Texas or a Texas A&M, you probably would have been drafted sooner than the ninth round, though, right? Well, oh yeah, absolutely, because uh, that those teams were scouted most by the major scouts, and you and you had the Tom Williams, the Warren Wells, people like that that raided the Southwest Conference because Warren Wells from Houston, that William he had at Texas Southern, um, Tom Williams was from Grambling, you know. And they got to the ears of the general managers back then, and they would actually bring us in. And you ran, uh, you ran the forties. They put you through reaction drills before the draft. You know, and a lot of those major schools you didn't hear from. But you know, when when they started to come up, when, when the draft started to come up, and all these names showed up, and all these people's playing, then that got the uh, attention of the NFL. I mean, of the you know, I call it the big NFL, mm-hmm. the uh, you know, major league of, of football back then. Look at Deacon Jones. I mean, he was an afterthought, and he's one of the best defensive ends of all time. Absolutely. It says when you when you look at the, I look at the, the guys that were on our team. I played with Otis Taylor, Jim Curran, Seth Cartwright, Vivian Lee, uh, Alvin Reed, uh, all those guys. Matter of fact, Charlie Taylor came to Prairie View, and uh, he couldn't make the team. So he went to Arizona State. <laughs> yeah, he became a number one. You know, I was in at Fairview. They had so much talent. I was an offensive center. Ended up playing uh, pro ball and safety. Alvin Reed was a defensive end. Ended up playing tight end. So they just had they had so many players. You just had to go there and find a spot that was open. You know, and and that talent, uh, when I say proven talent now, because each guy played in the in the league for so long, you can look back and see what the potentials were. Now, was there a particular receiver that gave you the most trouble? Uh, yeah, he was on my own team, uh, Otis Taylor, uh, <laughs> who, you know, with Kansas City, you know. He gave a lot of people a lot of trouble. Right. If, if you could, if you could Otis, you could anybody. He had a guy at Texas Southern, Warren Wells, um, uh, who was a tremendous receiver. You go to Jackson State, you had the Richardson brothers, you know. I mean, you go to, uh, Gremlin, you had Devin, the guy ran a 9-2, people like that. But when you would jump over into the league, uh, a name that really, kind of struck fear in my heart was um, Lance Allworth. Uh, this guy was very quiet, you know, not a violent receiver, but he could run and jump. And he did it so quietly until he had the respect of all the players. I knew all the defensive backs. And, you know, he had guys like... Uh, Belitnikoff. Uh, Belitnikoff, yeah, with the Raiders, uh, who was really, really good at all the moves. He had Warfield. He had all these Hall of Fame guys that you were playing against uh, back then. And you know how good they were now because they ended up in the Hall of Fame. So it was, you could go to any team and find a great receiver. You know, one, one receiver that, uh, is not mentioned much that gave me fits was the, um, the tight end for Cincinnati, um, Bob Trumpy. Okay. You know, and you don't hear much about him, but he was just, he was a long guy that ran out the middle of the field, had good speed, and was a good, a good tight end. What happened in Houston to the Oilers? How did that franchise end up moving? Because it seemed like everybody in Houston loved the Oilers, or did they lose the fan support over time? No, I think they still love the Oilers. I think that was between the management and the mayor. You know, I think that's, that's been talked about a lot. Um, and they just couldn't get it together over uh, the rights of the Astrodome, you know, who would get what. And um, I think they only end up calling... Uh, 
Tennessee and asked if they wanted a franchise, and uh, they said yes. And at that particular time, I don't think he even believed it, uh, as the story goes. But he got down there making this offer, and I'm not so sure that he was willing or he even wanted to move the team. But because of the financial assistance or aid that he got from Tennessee, he had to make the move. And as a result, all of it became history because they did love the team here. You know, during the Love You Blue era, I mean, it was a real courtship. And, then, you know, now they've, they've warmed to the Texans. They have a good staff, a good, you know, a good, a potentially a good team. So I think that once they start winning just a little bit more, then the city may lose that uh, relationship with the Titans like they once had with all or you know what, but the Texans are Dallas. It was the Cowboys' old name. They should have got the Oilers' name back. I mean, Houston, you think of oil. I mean, and the logo was great. Texans, I mean, you're basically going off the Dallas Cowboys' old uh, name. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, and, 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 uh, and probably so, but, you know, like uh, when you – when you, I think that there's a lot more there uh, in the leadership roles than we will ever understand as just labor in terms of, you know, who does what or who has this against whom. Um, but my understanding now that the all are the all is it's a retired logo. And nobody could use it if they wanted to, so they just actually retired that because I went into the Hall of Fame uh, as an all, you know. And with the Redskins also, you know, because I played with both teams, but by me being here in Houston I went in under the all logo. Now that all thing doesn't exist anymore. What was it like being traded to the Redskins? You know, the, I know the Oilers right. got they got five players for you, so they must have been somewhat satisfied with that. What, what was the transition to Washington like? It was frightening for me because I'd been I was an AFL player all my life, and I knew how they felt about the league. You know how they felt about the AFL. They thought we were just a junk league, and for them to lose that amount of players for myself, and for me to go up there again having to prove myself was. Really, really, really interesting because they had two good safeties. They had Roosevelt Taylor and they had Brave Owens at the time I got, and he was starting, starting player. And, uh, I remember being there about three or four weeks and I, I wasn't starting and I'm starting to question myself. And, uh, as fate would have it, Roosevelt Taylor broke his arm and, uh, they moved, uh, Brave Owens over to the three and moved me to the, uh, strong. And about a week later, once the season started, I had an opportunity to tackle Walt Garrison on the one-yard line. Thank God for that. And <laughs> I did. And it changed the whole existence of myself as a Redskin, you know, because that was just almost instant feedback. And uh, from that point on, I had a tremendous career there. And all of a sudden they say, oh, I guess this guy can play a little football, right? Yeah, right. They forgot about the other four players. <laughs> and who was the coach? Was that, was that George Allen down with the Redskins? It was George Allen, and it was a it was a great time to play with the Redskins. It was the over the hill gang, and uh, Washington really really supported that team. And uh, it was just a to me it was a good time. Now that I'm out of it, it was a good time to be in football period, and especially with the Redskins or the Cowboys or some of the major teams back then. I'll tell you what though, that owner Jack Kent Cook, he spent the money in that team, and he supported his players. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And they had a, a general manager back then by the name of Eric Bennett Williams, who was, a, I guess, a famous trial lawyer in the Washington right. area. He had George Allen, you had uh, Billy Kim and Sonny Jurgensen, Charlie Taylor. A lot of those guys going to be Hall of Fame people, and that was just a good time to play football. So do you think of yourself as an oiler or a redskin? Or does it depend what part of the country you're in? Well, you know, um, 
I had so I spent the first six years here with all, but the last eight were with the Redskins. Okay. And so I actually ended up playing uh, more years with the Redskins than I did with the Oilers. So I would be a Redskin. You know, I mean, if I just had to, at the time that I chose who I would go to the with, I was here in Houston and had been out of kind of touch with the uh, Washington area. But now that I look back at it, I would be a Redskin. So if a fan like me sends you a request for an autographed picture, what picture comes, a Redskin or Oiler? Uh, most of them are, are red-skinned pictures because they're still in existence. You know, with all or no longer existence, all that stuff has been pretty well, you know, put up for good. And uh, your kids, you get one, you'll see some people with some all of stuff. And, you you know, they'll ask you to sign it. But they even have to go back now and make the helmets to get it signed on. So what do you do nowadays to stay busy? Okay, um, I was, after I left football, uh, I became a counselor in the uh, Houston ISD. And I retired totally here two years ago, but uh, I went back to work for a charter school uh, <clears throat> as a counselor two days a week. That's where I am today, matter of fact. And I come in and uh, just talk to kids and try to get them, you know, to do the right thing, get them the right track. And It's a uh, school here in Fifth Ward uh, in, in Houston, which is a very noted uh, area here. And uh, it's kind of falling on hard times here lately, but this is the home of Barbara Jordan and everybody else who's prominent in the Houston area back during the same time we were at the, uh, with the Black Southwest Conference. So some kids here that need leadership, and that's what I try to do. I want to commend you on basically staying active in the community and being a great guy. Thank you so very much, guys. And uh, sorry I had to come out and talk like this, but thank you so very much for having me on. Oh, thank you. We love talking to the former play- Hall of Fame players. You're like 64th NFL Hall of Famer. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That was Ken Houston, 12-time Pro Bowler, former Redskin Oiler, and an all-around great guy. When we come back, we're going to have on former Montreal Expo, Boston Red Sox general manager Dan Duquette, because I think we got a new GM coming to Chicago with some Boston ties, Elliot. He might have bought some of his ties someplace else, but, you know, I'm sure he has a Boston sport coat and some Boston slacks, too. Trade in the red for the cubby blue. There's some blue in the Red Sox, right? They have certain color coordination. We gotta wrap it up. Stay tuned. If you've been injured at work, in a car accident, or received a traffic ticket, then give me, Attorney David Spada, a call. If you're injured, you may be entitled to receive benefits, which include the payment of reasonable medical bills, compensation for your time missed from work, and a lump sum settlement. After an injury, your primary concern should be your recovery, not worrying whether you're receiving your full benefits. My primary concern is you and making sure your interests are protected. After all... Your employer and insurance companies have individuals representing their interests. You should, too. The penalties for traffic tickets have become more severe over the past several years. Going to court without an attorney could result in you receiving conviction, loss or suspension of your driver's license, traffic school, increased insurance rates, or jail, depending on your ticket. If you have an experienced traffic attorney go to court with you, you may avoid paying the maximum fines, a conviction, and or traffic school. If you need representation, call me, Attorney David Spada, at 847-729-COMP. It's 847-729-COMP. 